So today, I am the light of the world. Again, intriguingly, two places that item of teaching, just as I am the bread of life, repeated twice with intent from the lips of the Savior recorded by the Spirit in John's Gospel. We're going to read those two occasions, just as we did last time I was with you, in terms of the bread of life. This time, the light of the world. Again, intriguingly, the sequence is the same. Keep it in mind as you, as you turn to read, to listen to the word. First of all, negatively, Jesus teaching what the light of the world or he is light of the world does negatively locked into his person, right? Secondly, positively, the work that he as light of the world does positively through his work as light of the world. First then, a couple of verses from John chapter 8 to set the scene. And then we'll go on to John chapter 9. The two places, this time in different chapters of our teaching. John 8 at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And so throughout that chapter, the controversy continues. Negatively, about his person as light of the world. Now, positively, about his work as light of the world. Chapter 9 from the beginning. Headed, Jesus heals a man born blind. We know the story well. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must work the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the mat man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home. See, I am the light of the world. May the Lord bless to us his word. It is intriguing, isn't it? We've seen it quite clearly in the bread of life. First of all, negatively, in respect of his person. 
How was it put? I, I am the bread of life, he taught. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes into me will never thirst. For he and he alone takes away, takes away that hunger through sin which we all have that not only disappoints our lives but destroys our souls. And then positively, through his work as bread of life. Not, not only does he take the sin away that drains us and destroys us, but he gives us food himself, the bread of life, so that we might be saved from our sins and so that we might start growing up in a new existence as a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your fathers at manna in the wilderness, they're, they're dead. This is the bread that if a man eat, he may not die. I am the living bread come down from heaven. If a man eat of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I tell you the truth. Except a man eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, there is no life in him. And of course he's speaking spiritually. He's not speaking of random communions being the way of salvation. He's speaking of his mighty self as a saviour to whom we come in repentance and faith are saved by his grace, given new birth in his grace and then start to grow up as new creatures in him. Bless you Jesus. The bread of the life, the bread of the bread of life. And he previewed it, you remember, through the sign. He fed five thousand people with five loaves and two fish. If he could do that miraculously, physically, he can feed you and me or any number of people spiritually miraculously. Can't he? With himself. And he confirmed it, didn't he? With the Manna being himself. I am the living bread. Come down from heaven. What a remarkable structure. Placed there by the Holy Spirit. And here's the glorious thing. Here's the glorious thing. That the very structure persists. As we come now to the light of the word. The only difference is that the position of the sign and the scripture are replaced. That's the glory of the Spirit, inspiring scripture, so that it's before us today. Again, there are the two times, once 6 verse 35, the first time, chapter 6 verse 48, the second time, here as we have read, 8 verse 12 and 9 verse 5. Chapter separating, but the same pattern, the first negatively about his person, in this case, negatively taking away the darkness, the confusion, the blackness of my sin, of your sin, our lack not just of mental understanding of Jesus as light and salvation, but experientially knowing Jesus 
personally as light and saviour. Taking the darkness of that away and giving us light. How did it happen? Remarkably. In the second instance, a man born blind, he wasn't restoring sight. Jesus hasn't come to give us a hand up. To help us be better people. Jesus has come to say, not only are we hungry with a perishing hunger, but we are blind spiritually, even if we see and understand and accept with our minds the thesis of how he is the bread of life and how he gives the bread of life. Isn't that glorious? And the same with regard to the light of the word. We must realize that with all the instruction we've had, with all the right and proper attendance at Sunday School and Church that we have had here in First Balamoni or wherever, we are still in our nature spiritually blind. Now that is a hard, hard thing. It's all right for somebody who has rebelled against God and gone their own way and never at church and never thought of God getting that fact. But for folk like ourselves to accept that we're spiritually hungry That we're spiritually blind. That's revolutionary. I know. I have been there. Just like yourselves. Twice at Sunday school. Twice at church. Surely I was alright. No. I was spiritually hungered. Until I got Jesus as the bread of life personally. And I was spiritually blind. Until he opened my eyes. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Yes, lost. And now fine, blind. Yes, I understood it all. But experientially, blind. No light to make me a new creature, to liberate me, to animate me. Now, through what? Repentance and faith. Now I see. Wasn't that was not how his, his very first words put it. It's just a matter of coming and being a disciple because it's a nice thing and a right thing and a proper thing to do. What did he say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand along with John the Baptist. And then he, he opened it up a bit. Repent <coughs> and believe the gospel. I'm the king. Submit to me. I'm your savior. Receive me. See the situation. How is it put this first time with regard to the light of the world? How is it put in 8.12? Let's think of that first of all. It's put, we've been suggesting, negatively, and it's put in respect of his person, isn't it? How is it put? Again, Jesus said to them, He who follows me will not, there's the negative, will not walk in darkness, <coughs> but will have the light of life. Again, like the bread of life saying, it's simple in a sense, but it's profound in a deeper sense, and it's very practical and down to earth. He doesn't say, would like to follow, would think following is a great idea. He says, whoever follows. And of course, that's preceded by the repentance, isn't it? We don't just start following. How can we? Well, we can follow 
his teaching. Of course we can. But the first thing Jesus says to you and to me, repent. Realize that you're spiritually hungry. Realize that you're spiritually blind. Come to me for food. Spiritual. For light. Spiritual. Follow. And start following the right way. And in a definite way. Whoever follows me will not walk. Isn't that an interesting expression? John writes his gospel evangelistically. He says that all he does at the end of his gospel, he says, so that people may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of God divine, and by believing they have life through his name, he writes his first letter to those who have already believed. The aim of the gospel is evangelism. The aim of his first letter is sanctification, assurance of salvation, to make them sure. And he's very, very practical in both. Do you remember how he puts it in the letter? If, if we say we have no sin, I we're pretty good. Of course I do things, but I'm pretty good. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We haven't realized our Adamic nature. That's the way we are, all of us born. Not with a bent toward God, but with a bent away from God. But if we confess our sins, that's it. Repentance and confession. Initially, to start us off in discipleship. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And... If we claim to follow God and walk in darkness, we are liars. Indeed, we live a lie, says the apostle. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You got the picture? It's not only a matter of starting, it's a matter of continuing. It's not only a matter of talking the talk, even rightly. It's a matter, and we know this to be so true, of walking the walk. How much damage is done by those who profess the Christian faith, but don't live as though they possess it. They're not real salt. And they're not very light. They're a shame to the cause. We need to talk the talk, repent and confess and believe, and then we need to walk the walk. Because the plain fact is, as he says, he will have the light of life. Because the implication of that is that there was a time when we didn't have the light of life. And that I find so difficult to understand and so difficult to grasp. Because I understood it. And there I was sincerely trying to live it. And yet the gospel was coming to me and saying to me, no, you can't go on like this. There's got to be a definitive start of the process. Now, who does this for me? I can't do this myself. I remember trying and the whole thing went pear-shaped. I have to do what Jesus says, repent. 
and believe me and trust yourself personally to me. Receive me as Savior, submit to me as Lord. And then live it out day by day, following my instructions. Not only to come to me, but to live for me. Because he is the light of the world. And as quickly as I can, I want to show you this. This to me is intriguing. He is the light of the world as promised in the Old Testament, in the law, the prophets and the writings. And that all, it seems to me, is fulfilled... In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, the law shows him to be a sovereign light of the world. Do you remember the creation story? In the beginning, God created the heavens, the universe, and the earth, our planet. There is God the Father. And the earth, our planet, was formless and empty. And darkness, says Genesis, darkness was over the surface of the earth. And the Spirit of God was brooding over the tepom, the deep, this mass that God had brought into existence, and God the Spirit was ready to make it clear and to build it out and to fit it into place. God the Father, God the Spirit, but where is God the Son? God the Son comes next, doesn't he? And God said, and what did God say? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And the light he called day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and that's the way. As you know, Genesis continues. The six days, and God said, let there be, and there was. There is the sun, there is the word. Now that's the point at which John takes it up. You ever ask yourself, well, why does John's gospel begin, no, no, no manger? No shepherds, no wise men. Not because he doesn't believe they existed. But he's bringing out the meaning of the incarnation. You remember how he begins quite philosophically. In the beginning, but linked to Genesis, language and thought. In the beginning was the word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, the Word. Without him was not anything made that was made. Listen to it. In him was life, inanimate and animate objects. In him was life, and the higher species of his creation, mankind made in the image of God, and the light the life was the life, sorry, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't, and I, I still go to the AV, couldn't comprehend it. The Greek is kataliban, and it is a double nuance. It means that, that the, 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 light, the light couldn't understand, couldn't comprehend what had hit it. At creation and at recreation, when Jesus came, it scattered it all. Nor could it overcome it. You see, it was a sovereign light. That's how he does for me what I can't do for myself. That's what he does for you what you can't do for yourself. That's where he takes the resentment that we have about needing to say that we're sinners who need to be saved, taken away, and recreates us. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it 
It can't understand it and it can't overcome it because he is the sovereign light of the world. The prophets say that he is the sent light of the world. We've already sampled that a bit in Isaiah, haven't we? He is sent as the child born to be king. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's there in the Old Testament, isn't it? And later on in Isaiah, it's there, isn't it? In the suffering servant, the servant sent to suffer. What does I, the Lord, capitals all through? What does I, Yahweh, say? I have called you, he says to his Messiah, son. I have called you by name. I will hold you. I will keep you. I will make you to to become a covenant. A relationship maker. With Israel. But listen to it. And a what? And a light to the Gentiles. Not one salvation for Israel. And one for the Gentiles. It's just simply a continuation of it. For in chapter 49 verse 6 he says. Who will spread my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus said go first to the household of Israel. That's why Paul says he went first to the Jew. As he did to the synagogue. And then, often when he was thrown out of it, he went to the Greek marketplace. This was God at work. Sunday. And what does John say in his gospel? It's intriguing. John says, there was a man sent from God. Now he's making us think. He's not talking about Jesus. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light, that light which enlightens every man who is born into the world. He was sent to proclaim that light. Of course he was. The two pregnant women met, you remember, in the narrative story in the synoptics. And the unborn children, one of the, one of the, probably John, leapt in her womb, we are told, Elizabeth, at the sight of the, the unborn Jesus. John was the forerunner, Jesus the fulfiller. John was the lamp, source, reflective. Jesus was a light, unsourced, light in himself, sent from God to give you light. To give me light, to bring us out of the dungeon of the darkness of sin, into the glorious light of the gospel. A sovereign light, a sent light, a saving light. Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord, and it's all in capitals. Read it when you go home. It's Yahweh, the I am God, Jehovah. Ah, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord, Yahweh, the I am God, is the light of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And how does, how does John trace out its fulfillment? He says, this, even, even though the world was made by him, and even though he was in the world, the world did not believe him. He came to his own, says John in the New Testament, his own possessions, his own people did not receive him, but to those who did receive him. That's what you and I have got to do. 
to start off. We've got to receive him. Repent of our sins. And receive him as our Savior. It's as bold, it's as plain. To those who did receive him, to those who believed into his name. His name means Savior. He gave power to what? To become the sons of God who are born, not of blood, not ordinary birth, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. In Genesis creation, in 1 John 12 following recreation, and then it's all gloriously summed up in 1 4, John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh. That's the point behind the baby story in the other Gospels. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. No man has seen God, John goes on to say, at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. And that's John's Christmas story. Light of light. Glorious, isn't it? And that's what Jesus begins with. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he will have something he never had before. He will have the light of light. And why? Because I am the sovereign light of the world. No darkness can withhold me or withstand me. Because I am the sent light of the world, my Father has commissioned me. And because I am the saving light of the world, I have generated you first cause in the first instance, mankind. I will regenerate you. And I alone can do that. What about the second saying? As quickly as we can. The second saying, embedded as he Heals the man born blind. And the man is born blind. He's not restoring sight. It isn't that he's restoring you and me physically or spiritually. He is creating something that was never there before. Now think of this. Chapter 6 we've looked at is full of controversy and division. Those who followed him followed him no more it says. Chapter 7, chapter 6 is about the bread of life. Chapter 7 is about the water of life. He goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. He stands up on the last day of the feast. He says, come to me and drink on their quiet day. And there was a division among the people because of Jesus. Chapter 8 begins, the, the chapter in which he announces himself to be the light of the world. Chapter 8 begins in controversy. They throw her down. A woman caught in the act of adultery. They say, there you are now, sir. Moses says, stoner, what do you say? And it continues in controversy. You're speaking of yourself, teacher. No man so arrogant as to do that. And the whole thing goes on in chapter 8. And it eventually comes to the point where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And that fairly gets their gander up. And they take up stones stone him because he's basically saying that he is the son of God and to them that is blasphemy chapter 9 starts totally differently 
It's like they come after the storm. You ever been out and crossing what the ferry? It's been an awful, awful night. And then the morning comes, you're glad to see the end of that night with all the rocking and rolling of it in the boat. Jesus was walking along the road and saw a man who was born blind. Recreation, not restoration. His disciple, oh, religious, and it is an important religious issue. Sir, did this man sin, or did his parents? Jesus, who was educating him, said, neither. Neither this man sinned, nor his parents. But this is the case, so that the work of God might be displayed in him. While it is day, we must work the works of him who sent me. Night comes when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The second statement. You see, it is an urgent work. And Jesus is moving to it. He says, man, we better get on with this. I've come from my Father, sent to be the light of the world. Let me now demonstrate how I am the light of the world. In this man born blind. It is introduced with urgency. It is instigated uniquely. You remember what he does? Quite crude, but off-putting. He spits. He makes saliva and he spits on the ground. He mixes his spittle with the dust. He rubs it on the man's eyes or sockets or whatever the man had. He sends the man to a pool, which John tells us means literally sent. And the man comes back saying, Now why did, why, why did he do this? Why didn't he do what he did in chapter 4 when, when the nobleman came whose son was dying? Why didn't he simply say, go home, your son will live? Why didn't he do what he did with the Gentile centurion and the other Gospels who came about as servant. Sir, my servant said, will you help him? No, sir, don't come to my home. You're a Jew, I'm a Gentile. That would get you into more boil than enough. Speak the word, sir. You're a man of authority, a teacher. I'm a man of authority, a centurion. We say the word and people do it. I say to one, go and he goes. I say to another, come when he comes. Speak the word. Jesus was thrilled. I haven't seen that kind of faith, said Jesus, not even among historic Israel. Why didn't he do it that way? No, he did it the way he healed the deaf and dumb man. Again, it's a bit crude. He made saliva with his tongue, Jesus. He stuck out his tongue and obviously told the man to stick out his tongue too. And he, Jesus, with his tongue, touched the man's tongue. He put his fingers in the man's ear and Jesus said, Fatha! Be opened. It was more like that this time. Think of the details. It's not just a healing miracle, it's a healing parable. It explains what he's doing. His spittle had the usual DNA of all mankind in it. The acid that was familial and declared his own essential being as a human. But he was the God-man. So it was divine spittle, if we might put it that way. 
He spat in the dust, which the Bible tells me is the material of which you and I are made. Dust you are, and we know that. And the dust you will return. There is the sovereign light of the world at work. Here is the scent light of the word at work. He sends the man with the mud under his eyes to a pool called Siloam, which means scent. And do I need to trace it out? The man comes back seeing. There is the saving light of the world at work. Uniquely. An urgent work. A unique work. And not a mumbo-jumbo work, but an understanding work that Jesus explained. The man got into an awful row with the religious authorities. You know, friend, he did that on the Sabbath day, that Jesus you're talking about. Now, he can't be a godly man if he does those things on the Sabbath day, can he? Well, I don't know about that. The man said, one thing I know, once I was blind, <laughs> I wouldn't you if you had been in this position. Once I was blind, hallelujah, now I see. And then he argues with them. Well, this is a strange thing you're arguing. You tell me that he's an ungodly man. Sure, the Bible teaches that God, the Old Testament teaches that God hears only those who are righteous. How does that come about? Are you presuming to lecture us? Jewish religious teachers, and they cast him out, not of the house. They excommunicated him from Judaism. But Jesus found him. And Jesus said to him, when he had heard that he was cast out, Jesus said to him, friend, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus took the Old Testament term. It simply meant Messiah. In Jesus' lips. Do you believe in the Messiah? Who is he, sir? That I might believe him. He is speaking to you, friend. And you are listening to him, friend. One of those senses he had. The other he hadn't. For hitherto he had been, was blind. Now with his new sight, he could see the Son of Man. And with the years that he always had, as it were, he could hear the Son of Man. And he said, Oh, sir, I believe. And he worshipped him. An urgent work is Jesus' work of salvation. He's pushing you, he's pushing me today, if we haven't come to him, to come to him. And if we haven't found him, he's pushing you and me today to live for him. A unique work fashioned just for us where we are with every answer to our situation in his word. Another mumbo-jumbo, not worked up to emotion and making some human decision that means nothing, only we're overexcited. But a meaningful repentance and faith where we know that we're spiritually empty and hungry and we're spiritually blind and turn to him. Eternal light. Eternal light, how pure the soul must be when 
Set within thy searching sight, it shrinks not. But with calm delight can live. And look on thee, says Benay the hymn writer. The spirits that surround the throne may bear the burning bliss, but that is surely theirs alone, since they have never, ever known a fallen world like this. Oh, how can I, whose native sphere is dark, spiritually speaking, whose mind is dim, spiritually speaking, before the ineffable appear, and on my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam. There is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode, an offering and a sacrifice, a holy spirit's energies. It's all there. What we were singing at at the beginning. An advocate with God. These, these prepare us for the sight of holy things above. The sons of ignorance and night may dwell in the eternal light. How? Through the eternal love.